0: Welcome to Mormon Book Reviews. where an evangelical encounters the restoration, but this is not a Mormon Book Reviews episode per se. It is part of our segment called Mormon Media Reviews, and my frequent co-host Rebecca Biblioteca is in the house. How are you doing this morning? Good morning, Steve. I'm great. How are you? Oh, doing fantastic. Now I'm glad you guys. I'm two hours ahead, so I'm half day. My day's halfway through, and you guys are just getting up. And I appreciate the time. Yeah, you know, we got. I got always have to work my schedule around the the mountain time zone and all that. But well, I'm really excited because we have this fantastic guest on. He's, uh, his name is Stephen Cap Perry, and he is the host of the uh, BYU radio podcast In Good Faith. And I love this—the concept of his channel It's really fantastic because what he does is he actually is—it's kind of an interreligious dialogue where he's having the engagement of the Latter-day Saints with other folk from other religions including evangelical and catholic and you know protestant you name it he's talking to them and you're finding commonalities and 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 i think this is great because of course my channel is the switzerland of mormonism uh it's a it's a (laughs) safe space for everybody and i think you've become uh your own switzerland as well where different people can bring their perspectives to the table uh steven uh welcome to the program
1: steve thank you very much nice to be here
0: so I thought, okay, so Rebecca brought you to my attention. And Rebecca, I said, hey, I'm going to throw you under the bus this morning at the last minute and ask you to do the very first question. So Rebecca, the ball's in your court.
2: Well, and I can see how this might be a little confusing because we have Steve and Steve. So I wonder if we'll have to use nicknames or last names or something when we're <laughs> when we're all talking. But that's fine. Hopefully, it will make sense. So yeah, I am, um, and it was actually my husband Tom who suggested. You know who would be a great guest on Steve Pineker's show it would be. Steve Cap Perry, um, because we've we've all been acquaintances and friends for a while, lived in the same area, and our sons have known each other. And so we've been aware of Steve and, and just all the amazing things that he is involved in, and especially this, this latest project um, that you've been working on for the last several years, the In Good Faith, which is amazing. So we just thought it would be really fun to have you on and um, have others in, in Steve Pinecker's audience get to know you. And what you're doing, because I saw also a commonality between the two channels, just in, you know, the the kind of people that you engage, the kind of dialogue um, that you're trying to have. So welcome, Steve. And why don't we just start out by just telling us um, a little bit about you and your background, and we'll just start from there.
1: Sure. Uh, I think it's kind of fun that our sons, our sons have been friends since junior high days in high school and still stay in touch. (laughs) So. I, I live in Provo, Utah now. I, this is where I went to high school. It's been home ever since. I spent the first 15 to 20 years of married life as a songwriter and a music producer in studios and worked on various projects, for, including for my mother, Janice Cat Perry. lots of LDS folks, of course, know and love her music, as do I. And then I gradually got into radio. As the economy changed, meaning everyone could copy your music for free and email it to each other (laughs) and uh, making a life as a a songwriter started to go like this. So I was at FM 100 in Salt Lake City doing their Sunday programming and, and just loving being on that station for about 10 years. Then I came part time to BYU Broadcasting on the classical station, which, you know, with my musical background was a really nice fit. I still announce every day, classical89.org, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Mountain Time, and you can hear me spin the greatest hits of the last 500 years. <laughs> so.
2: oh, that's great. It's true. Anybody who tunes in, you, you're probably right now going, I recognize that voice. You know, I know that voice. So. It's,
1: it's possible. Classical 89. So uh, And then while I work here, uh, BYU Radio, which is the talk show, the talk station that's Sirius XM one forty three. We started doing radio shows uh, more and more often, and and then also posting them as podcasts. And then, of course, as you've seen, the industry change. Now we are a podcast production house that also happens to put some stuff on the radio locally. But uh, so I have enjoyed this assignment to create in good faith. Right from the beginning, I heard the title and I thought, I'm there because I have a picture of what this could be, which sounds like is sort of a common vision that I have from what I've seen of the interviews I've watched for you folks. So I was really happy that you would invite me to be on.
0: Well, yeah, we're happy to have you on, too. And, you know, I I, I want to talk some more, but you brought it up. I was going to bring it up later because I'm seeing the panel in the background, and of course, you talk about the musical background. Talk about your musical background. I just want you to talk a little bit about your mother. Uh, the, uh sure. She's she's royalty in your world, and I I'd maybe just talk a little bit about your mom.
1: Yeah, well, I'm very proud of her. I've always been glad when people say, "Is your mother?" Yes, indeed, she is. She's a great lady, and she she was always musical growing up, but she mostly played sports. And so she did women's fast pitch. She was the pitcher and um, just very involved in athletics, still about age 40. Um, and then she noticed she could still pitch just as fast, but she couldn't get out of the way of the ball when it came back towards her. It was, she was getting a little slower. And she actually broke her ankle playing basketball with my six foot four, 16 year old nephew. She likes to point out she was winning at the time. And, and while her foot was up in a cast, the bishop of our local congregation came and said, so I hear your musical. Um, we need music for our roadshow for extra points because we've got to beat the 27th ward this year. <laughs> so that competitive killer instinct. And she said, well, I'll give it a try. And that's she started writing music and just loved it so much uh, that she just launched herself into that.
0: Wow. So she actually didn't really start her music writing career until she was in her 40s
1: yeah almost just about turning 40 and then just kind of went there. you know one of my favorite things about her this is a life lesson I am trying to incorporate into my life is she had written a bunch of songs for people who needed something like would you write something for our young women's group to sing or we need the primary boys to have a song they think is a strong song like for boys to sing that's where we got we'll bring the world his truth or the armies of Helaman.
2: Oh, and and And, as a primary pianist, that is the most requested, you know, when you you throw (laughs) it out to the kids and say, what would you like to sing? Boy, that's the one that they just love. That's an amazing song.
1: But the interesting thing about her is she sent in some of these songs because they were written for specific church uses and she thought, well, other people maybe could use them too. And she got a sort of a friendly form letter-ish response saying dear sister perry thank you for sending your music we don't really have a place for it or a way to use it but if it needs to be heard in a wider sphere it will find its place so i it, they didn't say bloom where you're planted but it was sort of brighten your own little corner of of zion <laughs> and so i think a lot of people might have been really offended like you know brighten my own little bloom where i'm planted she took that seriously and she thought, Well, that's what I'm doing. I'll just keep doing that. But those songs, because they filled a need, actually did just like the music department form letter said start to find its way because people would hear something they would want it. And now she has, uh, I think, 10 different songs in the primary children's songbook, the current one. Of course, it's under revision for a new one now. Anyway, I just love that idea that. That she was not worried about the size of the audience or had to have some notoriety. She, this is what she loved, and thought, well, then, okay, I will make this a better place. I lift where I stand, essentially.
0: Wow, what a what a great story! Now, I, I I I have to tell you, this is a another great story that I encountered early on. This is actually when I first heard this story, it actually changed the trajectory of my channel because initially, my channel was supposed to be secular and scholarly. But then I heard the story about Arlene Buffington's The Songs of Zion for the Church of Jesus Christ. Oh. And this is oh. one of the most remarkable hymnals ever made. Um, because she didn't know any music. She couldn't, she couldn't read music, she couldn't carry a tune, but she had these songs supernaturally downloaded. And, and she and she, I thought it was a few songs, 239 songs later. Wow. And it's one of the most remarkable hymnals ever made, supernaturally inspired, and the music is beautiful. And that's one of those beautiful things about encountering the restoration is that I get to hear these fantastic stories from all these different groups. And it's really blessing me. And I imagine, Steve, that your channel, what you're doing when you're interacting with other people and you're finding out other things that you probably find yourself blessed from people from other faith traditions as well.
1: Oh, absolutely. And I usually run home after every interview day and I'm just my wife knows I'm gonna. She's gonna have to sit there for a minute while I <laughs> talk about all the cool things I could, whatever I can remember from the conversation. And and maybe you've discovered that's the most thing is to talk to people who maybe know something you don't know or have an experience you haven't had, and just be able to hear that. That's that's been really great. I I, uh, I actually I jotted down because you know when you're on the spot you can't always remember your life accurately <laughs> so I jotted it just a couple of ideas and a, from a few different guests I don't know if you want to uh, take a minute oh sure oh sure. I think it's, that it's, was just...
2: going to be one of our questions um before that though I'm wondering sure. if you could just very quickly the the idea for the show the concept was it yours, was it BYU, you know, just sort of how did it start just for some of Steve's viewers that may not be completely familiar. And then I think one of my main questions was, please talk about, you know, some of the more notable guests. I have some I'd like to ask about because I was going through that. But yeah, I think I'd love to hear just how did it happen? Because it's such a unique and interesting broadcast and and so needed.
1: I I think it kind of marked a turning point here. There was something happening at BYU Broadcasting, which was before it had been more inward facing. In other words, you could turn on BYU TV or BYU radio and hear music by the saints for the saints, or you could hear BYU forums or devotionals delivered on campus at BYU for the saints. And at some point there became a a bit of an impetus to not just be inward facing in that circle, but actually to face outward which meant two things. One, making programming both on BYU TV and BYU radio that would be applicable to a general audience. And we've got we've got the Lisa show, Lisa Valentine Clark, amazing ways that you can do everything from self-care to family. She has this thing called the Council of Moms. that <laughs> They do a great job. I'm going uh, to have to one... check that out. <laughs> oh, it's great. It's the, the Lisa show. And uh, top of mind, is more of an investigation into interesting topics that could be legal, that could be anything that's very current. And then we've got constant wonder, which is about finding awe in the world, sometimes divine or religious, but often just in nature or in in what we do for each other as human beings. And the Appleseed is like America's favorite storytelling podcast. And you'll find national figures. So, So where did faith fit into this? They'd been sort of reaching out in different ways, but they wanted a faith component, not inward facing, but outward. And so uh, Marcus Smith, who was our manager at the time, he said, I've got this title for a show. And he said, it wouldn't have worked 10 years ago because we had a different focus, but I think it's time. The title is In Good Faith. And I mean, all he had to do was say the title. And I said, I'm in. I can picture it already. And because I've always been really open to exploring and going to visit other churches or a synagogue or whatever it might be and just learning for whatever reason, I don't feel threatened. I think some people feel threatened going to a building of another faith for some reason. We could talk about that later. I have some ideas, <laughs> but then I got to just start calling amazing people and hearing what what we say is that on in good faith we have first-person accounts of believers celebrating the power of faith and belief in their life and sharing what those stories mean to them. So it's not a debate or anything like that. It's me asking, tell me how that felt or why did you think that you that God was in that thing that happened or whatever it might be. So it's just taken off from there. We've been able to start doing some topical episodes with panels now. We have one coming out in a it, right at the first of the year called How to Talk About Religion. And it's like a setup for a joke. A priest, a rabbi, an imam, and and me sit down at a table, <laughs> walk into a studio, and have great conversations. And we started a book club. So we can say, what's an inspirational book? I, I know your book, people. That's what I'm tossing it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, we started with uh, Eckhart Tolle's The Power of Now. Just something that would be widely known in the concept of mindfulness. Next, we'll take the devotional book Gilead in February. We'll do a book. So we want our listeners to be reading for about three months, and then we have a roundtable discussion. They can even send in comments. So all different ways to just explore how our lives interact with the divine that's wow. just
2: brilliant I love that and I love the book component I run several book clubs so ah. I know how important that is to you know to, to talk about that to have dialogue to give people things to read and then be able to discuss so oh that's just wonderful I just love that that's I amazing.
1: should probably pick your brain about some good, <laughs> good books for the book club <laughs>
0: Well, and then, and then that leads us to the question that we, we were talking about, is that, um, you know, of course, you being blessed by other people, and also maybe just talk about some key guests that you had that really have impacted you, um, that really have uh, maybe changed trajectory in your life or in your podcasts and just and you know, just talk a little bit about that. Yeah, one, one of the
1: nice things, and you guys know this, is you just call whoever you want to talk to, even if they're the biggest, baddest, whatever, all they can do is say no, and maybe they'll say yes especially if they have a new book out. (laughs) (laughs) So um, one of my heroes for years and years has been travel writer, Rick Steves, you know, Rick Steves Europe and he'll take you all over and tell you what to avoid or don't miss this, or here's why this thing is important. So I was reading a book of his called um, travel as a political act. I thought that's kind of interesting. And in the introduction, he, he sort of gave an outline that ended up being our interview, which is what he had learned faith-wise on this journey that he doesn't usually get to talk about. And so I contacted him uh, through his organization. He never gets to talk about this. He was like, yes, when can we do this? He was so generous, even called the day before and said, oh, I just want to see if we've got a good connection. Um, And uh, just very thoughtful. So um, he tells this story that, His parents took him when he was about 16 to, I believe it was Denmark, Scandinavian country. He's meeting all the family that he'd never met, cousins he'd never met. And they have this huge family picnic, big blanket. They're sitting there with his, his newly met relatives. And he said he was suddenly filled with this sense of love for these people. Some he knew and some he just barely met. And then he said he looked up into this huge park and all it was filled with families all doing the same thing. And he, he had this just almost shocking realization. He said that and they all love their people, their families just as much as I love mine. And and this is the love of God we're all feeling. And it was kind of a religious experience just having a picnic. And once he said that, then we got to talk about just all kinds of of ways that faith is meaningful in people's lives and and uh, that was I, I when i first talked to him i said i need 3 minutes just to be your fanboy here before we can have an actual discussion or i won't i won't be able to to finish this he was so he was very generous he's a delight to listen to and a great storyteller
0: you know, he's one of my favorites. And I'll tell you, I, I'm assuming, I don't know if you have, but he actually made like a Rick Steves special, but for the Lutheran church. He comes from a Lutheran background. Yeah. And he it's a, have you watched that episode? Because it's really, really good.
1: I'll look that one up. I, okay. I saw the one he did on Martin Luther, which was really great.
0: And that might be the one I'm thinking of, because it's funny because it's like a Rick Steves, but he made it like. In per in in on behalf of the Lutheran church as well, it's kind of like a joint production, as I recall, it's been like 10 years, since nice, yeah, but uh, but yeah, fascinating stuff, and that, and, and 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 so his faith informs him, uh, and and I think that's just so cool is is talking to somebody that, like I would be fanboying boying for like 30 minutes with <laughs> him if I had him on, <laughs> you know, uh, one of my favorite guests,
1: and we've had him on twice now, is uh, Ibu Patel who does a lot of interfaith work in the United States. Um, um, They just changed the name of their organization. It's Interfaith America, and he has a podcast. He, for years and years, had just had this vision, first on college campuses, of having interfaith experiences for the students there. And now he's making it broader. And it was really interesting to talk to him. He said that his interfaith work started in the cafeteria in high school because. They sat there with their friend group. His girlfriend was LDS. He was Ismaili Muslim. And they had friends who were Hindus, agnostic, atheist, Catholic, you name it. And he said the interesting but respectful discussions that started there kind of formed the impetus of what's become his life work. And he said he realized that there was something good in his friends that he recognized. Some piece of goodness in them And that it seemed somehow tied to their faith, that something about that sense of faith gave them a goodness or something he felt in common with them, which I'm sure you felt that same thing. But what a thing for him to notice at such a young age.
0: Wow. Wow. Rebecca? Yeah, I...
2: I wanted to ask you about, like I said, I run a couple different book clubs in the Good Book Club. We read last year um, Zealot by Reza Osman. Oh, yes, and I yes. saw on your guest list that you had had Reza on. And I was just very curious about him. He was a very, we, everyone really, there was quite a bit of dialogue around that book. It was very, <laughs> very interesting and very eye opening. So I'm just, uh, fangirl here for him um, if you can tell me a little bit about what it was like to interview him
1: yeah he he was coming to Utah I believe it was to speak at Sunstone as the the keynote speaker and so I just went through channels and he agreed we could do an interview I if 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 I were willing to drive up to I think it was Park City where they had him and his family cute cute little kids and I got to meet his wife And then they ran to one end of the house and we sat on a couch and did kind of a back and forth microphone interview like that. And the thing we were asking him about was this whole idea is, are we hardwired to believe as human beings? Is there some element in us that's just adapted so that we benefit somehow? So what he's saying, either it's real or it's something we've made up to get us through. And, and he's bouncing back and forth between, and he had become Christian at one point and then went back and uh, to Islam, uh, the Sufi tradition, kind of a mystical tradition. Mm-hmm. And just so interesting to hear his examples of how we need faith and how we often end up, you've all had this experience, I think, where something happens and you think, was that a miracle? Is that a coincidence? I get to decide because there's, It's not 100% clear. And that's kind of an act of faith, I think, Mm -hmm. that we often decide I think I see God in this. I think it's a very personal.
2: Yeah, it's a very personal thing, I think. And that makes sense. His book definitely reflected, like I said, we read the one zealot that he had the two backgrounds, oh, you know, uh-uh. Christianity and Islam. And yeah, he definitely uh, left maybe more questions than answers in our discussion. But again, <laughs> it's personal and it, it's it's yeah. how you interpret it and and how you feel about it. So yeah, that was fascinating. Very interesting. Wow, I yeah, would recommend perfect. that book for your book club. <laughs> You'd get oh, a lot of yeah. good discussion out of that for sure.
1: <laughs> I'll put it on the list. That's a great suggestion. <laughs> Uh, you know, a couple of years ago, uh, one of the congregations, one of the synagogues in Salt Lake City got a brand new rabbi and mm-hmm. he was very young. And sometimes, you know, people look younger than they are. And so you think, uh, are, you, are you here to set up chairs? No, I'm the new <laughs> rabbi. I, I just look like I'm 18. And, and so we had him on when he was brand new in Salt Lake City. And it's it's interesting how quickly someone who is steeped in helping other people And walking with them through difficult things becomes wise. And I was so impressed with uh, Rabbi Sam Spector. I wrote down something he said. He said that one of the wonderful things about being a rabbi is you get to be a part of people's stories, the joy and the sorrow. And And then kind of more ecumenically, maybe that's not the right word, but he said, since God is holy and we are created in God's image, it's blasphemous to him. To fail to see holiness in other people, whatever their background, as fellow creations of the Creator, just the idea that he's doing something wrong or he's falling short if he can't see the holiness in other people.
0: Amen to that. I'll tell you, that's when when I first started this show, the Lord mm-hmm. showed me a few things, and he and he gave me some rules to operate under. And one of the things he told me was he he, he kind of put me in a in a place where. I'm on one one side of the street holding the sign. And then there's a person on the other side of the street holding the sign. And we're both, we're on opposite sides. And God told me, he said, just remember, Steve, that person holding that sign that you disagree with is a fellow image bearer. And just say, Mm. fellow image bearer. That's a principle that I've been operating under. And I think that's the key thing is that we are dealing with fellow image bearers. And and even if people we don't like, and we don't like their politics and their views, we still have to realize they are created in god's image
1: I, I like how succinctly you say that image bearers mhm yeah 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 if, if we i i think that's a doorway to actually getting to know god is this seeing him in other people mm-hmm. you good. know you mentioned the rules could i talk about that when we were inventing in good faith you know you sort of sit down and you write a mission statement or or rules of the road as you just said and we had just been hearing about bishop, uh, a Lutheran bishop, Christer Stendahl. You've probably heard of him. Mm-hmm. And he, he, um, <laughs> he, he talked about this whole divide that you just talked about. In spite of someone's politics or opinions about things, we don't want to believe sometimes what people on the other side have to say. So he made, when he was teaching at Harvard Divinity School, he gave himself three rules to talk about religion, and we adopted these in good faith the first one is if you want to learn about a religion ask its adherents not its detractors
0: mm-hmm.
1: no that's what you guys are, do it's the idea that you don't talk about people you have them come in and you talk to them you talk with them because you just avoid so much misunderstanding and all that the second i like this one don't compare your best with their worst mm. because we have a worst too and they have a best too, and then uh, my favorite is his phrase here: um, "Leave room for holy envy," meaning leave room for true admiration of something in another person's religious tradition. Which, boy, oh, so many of the guests, especially some of my Muslim guests, who are very observant of praying five times a day, of doing the Ramadan forty days fasting during the day, and these are evidences of commitment and, and them working to find a place where they could put down a prayer rug at their work or whatever and having to work to get accommodations for that where that's not necessarily how it would be done for, for instance, the Christian workers or others. And Anyway, I've just been really impressed uh, by dedication and made me, made me think about my own dedication to whatever my most important principles are.
0: Wow. I
2: I love that. I think that's great. So, I'm wondering if we could talk a little bit about and I'll give an example here. Just in some cases the fear, I don't know if that's too strong of a word, but to get to know um, other religions or other religious thoughts. So my example is my husband Tom, who both of you guys know. So he's a curious seeker, and for years, um, although he was in the LDS faith, he has loved to go and visit other religions, other denominations, other churches, and mostly led by music. He's very musical, and he just loves to sing. And he's a member of the Deborah Bonner Unity Black Gospel Choir. You know, so he you know, he would go to his regular LDS services and then and oftentimes drag me along, um, we would go to all kinds of different churches um in the Salt Lake area. We would double dip <laughs> and we would sing and we would participate and I loved it. It was wonderful. It was so um, expansive to me. But then this is where kind of the fear or the confusion comes in. We would come back um, to our LDS ward and he would bear his testimony or he would incorporate into his lessons uh, as a gospel doctor teacher, some of the things he was learning or just his amazing enthusiastic experience. And he sort of came up against this little like, oh, real. I don't know if you should be, you know, it was very <laughs> surprising to us. And and I just wonder what your thoughts are. And I'm not saying it's just more, I think it's anyone of any faith that might be a little fearful or confused about why somebody would want to experience and explore this. So I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about that.
1: Do yeah, I think that's a really interesting thing that happens everywhere. Um, but there are some specific aspects to it with LDS people that that, that i'll get to but first of all our our minds always are preparing for the worst case scenario to protect us you know we're walking along where once i became a parent i could not walk near any ledge without being certain one of my children was about to plummet off the edge just like they run over and jump off you know constantly being aware of the edges and the danger and i think sometimes we Uh, can easily get into an us and them way of thinking we have this special mission and, and maybe we do, but that also, that doesn't also mean that nobody else has their own mission. So here's been, if I can, I'll just sneak this little story in. It's, I actually hadn't planned to tell it, but this is part of how we created what we did. I had a friend who was years and years ago, uh, decades, uh, a mission president in the London area. And they started having this amazing success where there had been almost none. And they had made a few little changes. And so someone came out from the missionary department to sort of say, so president, so what are you doing out here that's working so well? And this was then Elder Gordon B. Hinckley. So later church president. And so he arrives and my friend picks him up and they, they start driving uh, to where the lodgings will be. And they say, well, President, we're sure impressed. We're excited to hear about how you're making so much progress. You've doubled what you usually do. And maybe trying to be humble, but I think honestly being humble. My friend said, oh, Elder Hinckley, yes, we were grateful for this few hundred more, but there are 12 million people in our mission. We're just not even making a dent. And Elder Hinckley just laughed and he said, oh, President so-and-so. You don't think the Lord just works through the Latter-day Saints, do you? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that just kind of opened his mind as a mission president. I mean, his job is to go convert people. But he was reminded by Elder Hinckley, yeah, God is doing his work everywhere and in everyone. And if you can be close enough to someone and drop the fear and say, what did that experience mean to you? And not always be ready with, well, in my tradition blah, blah, blah. But actually, listen, um, I think fear dissipates. It's, it's our brains are saying it's unknown. I'm told I'm supposed to be certain and, and know what I believe. And if someone else says something that makes sense, am I drifting? And I have loved just getting to know people and to love them as image bearers, as you said, Steve. And 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 there's just no fear there. It's just a delight in what what's happening there uh, in their lives. Sorry, oh, that took a long time to answer.
0: <laughs> I love it. I love it. I, I actually wanted to. Uh, I, I think what a great story about uh, President Hankley. That's 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 very eye opening. And I, I did want to ask you because, of course, I'm an evangelical. Yeah. yeah. And I, I just want to know what have your interactions with evangelicals been like. <clears throat>
1: I would say uh, on one level, um, I'm, I often get the chance to, in, to interview people who've been invited to come here on campus for an interfaith event, perhaps, or, or to explain something to the, the religion department about their, their faith and their, what their theological seminary does. So I have tended to be able to speak with people who are already open to discussion. Not to try and convince one another, because I think that should be maybe one of the fourth rules that if you're having a conversation to convince each other, you're not doing it correctly. But what ends up happening is when people listen respectfully, I would say on every interfaith council, Salt Lake Interfaith Council, Utah Valley Interfaith, that I have had anything to do with, people feel strengthened in their own faith. As they work with other people and i think that's kind of not what people expect like am i muddying the waters or something like that when i hear no you're hearing how god is doing his work through his children all of
0: his children you know it is funny because uh, one of my friends nathan smith we were having a conversation and he said steve you like to blur lines and i said (laughs) i sure do and i think that's so important because, and I will also say, what's so fascinating to me is that I there's this new breed of evangelical that's engaging the restoration. That's Jeff McCullough with Hello Saints. That's David Boyce with 52 Churches in 52 Weeks. That's uh, what I'm doing with my program. But I'm also talking to other Christian ministers and apologists who are based in Utah. And there, uh, there some of them I will openly endorse as saying this is a good Christian apologist. Don't this is not a bad guy. There are plenty of bad. There's a lot of bad <laughs> Christian apologetics going on in Utah too. Unfortunately, that's the face that a lot of uh, Latter-day Saints are seeing is the bad, the bad arguments, the bad, the bad faith, the ugly side of evangelicalism. But there's this new group of people. Oh, you're going to ask something. Well, you made me think of, of a, a guest
1: that I have, a guy I really like, and. Um he and his wife felt called to come from where they lived back East in the South and come to Utah and start a mission to save Latter-day Saints. So I have him come in as a guest and we really struck up a friendship and it was, I, I think first he was surprised that I was actually not trying to jump on him or, or condemn this or, I asked him about his sense of mission. He said, well, you don't want to keep this on your podcast. And he talked about, I'm here to save you folks, like including you. And um, I said, of course, I'm going to keep that in the podcast because that's your real lived experience. And that's why you're here. And so should I panic that he's going to be like hunting me down to tackle me and, and, and convert me somehow? No, but we stay in touch and we've been able to talk over the years, really respectfully. And um, I, th- I think he was surprised that I was sort of not phased by his mission to come save me from myself and, and my false beliefs, in some cases, you might say.
0: "That's That's great. And that's good that you're having those conversations, because it is important. I don't want to exclude and just say, I'm only going to talk to certain groups of people, like you're doing, you're doing the same thing. You want to talk to people that and I like, yeah, you come to the table and you, you tell your story, make your case mm-hmm. and, and and let my audience decide, which is exactly the kind of thing I want to do with my channel just, I'm just going to let, let these people come on and they decide. And that's the beautiful thing. But, you know, as I was, the thing is, is now that we got all these other Christian evangelicals that uh, I've been engaging with, and they've been coming out of the woodwork and, and contacting me. And, and, and many of these, I have a Baptist minister um, from Mobile, Alabama that's working with me and he's he's a really cool dude and these this other group of christians are saying we got to do something differently and i would say well, for 200 years we've been the baddies you know right we've been button heads with the restorations almost from the beginning right uh-huh. and 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 it, where's it gotten us right i ain't gotten us anywhere and i think it's Separated. It was, yeah, exactly and see and, and this is the thing i tell people on april 6 1830 that was a church that was full of spirit-filled born again bible believing Christians it might have been the most christian church service in america that day that was the foundation of your church and we need to remind ourselves of that fact
1: you know i you usually when there's an article or or a review you you're not supposed to read the comments right that People will go crazy and they they think they're anonymous. Sometimes they forget their names on the account and they say things that they would never say to you in person. So we've been doing a little bit of Facebook advertising for In Good Faith. And um, a lot of people, especially across the South, we get all these responses. People, I don't know if they're tuning in, but they click on the ad because it says conversations with believers. And they just say, amen. Thank you, Jesus and they're giving honest expressions of, oh yes, conversation with believers. I don't know if they've listened yet, but so one guy writes, uh, he said, uh, "Jesus is our Lord and Savior. And we should not talk to something talk talk to people who are in in darkness and don't know that bad podcast." So, so he, we were a bad podcast because, for instance, we had talked to Muslims or Hindus or Jews, or. Uh, a uh, whole hour-long thing we did on ways different people relate to God in nature. Which were some were very traditional and some were way not traditional. And so I I, I think it's that fear you were asking about, Rebecca. Um, you probably know who uh, Brian McLaren is. He's written some really great books. And, and I had him on who's talking about his book, Faith After Doubt, um, about stages of faith. And I think that fear comes in that we try and stay in that very first stage that you have to be as a kid, like this is right, this is, this is wrong. We do this, we don't do that. And you need the black and white. But then there's nervousness in moving to stage two, which is where things start to, uh, you start being perplexed a little bit. It's, you realize, oh, it's more complicated than that. And it's moving between those stages. Instead of having fear to see those as, I think God might be expanding my understanding. And am I willing to be a little bit uncomfortable? I don't know, Steve, are, are you ever uncomfortable with strange ideas that get get shared with you? Or you're just there to listen?
0: You know, this is the you thing. You can I take tell
2: anything. People, <laughs> I,
0: I, I tell people I'm comfortable in the places that most people are uncomfortable. So, what made you that way? If I
1: can turn the tables here for a minute.
0: Um, I think that, you know, I was I was a as a young child, I was very interested in Mormonism as an evangelical. Fascinated from mm-hmm. the age of seven or eight years old. I will also say, and I don't talk about this too much. I I have talked about it on a couple of podcasts because I don't like to talk about myself too much, but you asked, <laughs> is I also realized at around that same age that I was gay. And So I tell people, I said that I, with the world we live in now, the cultural wars. I guess I the cultural wars inside me since a young child. Yeah, and I recognize the beauty of my faith, but I also recognize many of the things that it gets wrong about things, including Mm -hmm. wrong about myself. So I really think that because I had this dualism going on, I was a self loathing, I self hating, you know, because of what I was told right about gay people. And then as I've grown and accepted myself for who I am and then have been able to kind of integrate these two things with my faith, it made me very, very sensitive to other people. To I even as a kid, if I saw kids sitting by themselves in the lunchroom table, I would go and sit with them. Right. I I I always wanted to be sensitive to those who were maybe uh on the margins or weren't a popular kid. And then I also felt like even I'm the kind of person that if somebody is speaking ill of another person, I don't care who, who they're speaking ill of, I will step up and defend that person because they're not there to defend themselves. It's, it's an instinctual mm. thing. So I think all these factors kind of molded me into the person that I am. And then it engages me. So I'm like when I say I like to be, I I, I genuinely mean that I'm comfortable where most people are uncomfortable because in one sense I was uncomfortable in my own skin for most of my life. So I know what it's like to feel that way. Yeah. So does that does that answer your question?
1: Yeah, I often find that people who are the most <clears throat> empathetic or compassionate earned that well, earned or it was forced upon them by by just life circumstances which could be any number of things it's interesting you say this i mean i have a very happy 34 year marriage four kids two granddaughters but about three years ago i started coming out as a gay man um which is a whole story like yours growing up in a particular uh church or milieu that uh, where that's not the favorite thing i did have some kind of a spiritual experience when i was a teenager and i was reading this book uh miracle of forgiveness spencer w kimball which has a few harsh things to say in, in chapter six about anyone who's just a little outside of the majority and i remember reading some of those words like crime against nature abomination and and all of this and that if you haven't spent years knocking and blooding your knuckles on the door you haven't done enough to change and all this and it was pretty dire to read this, but I had this experience where I call it now revelation. Uh, I didn't know what to call it at the time. Suddenly, I knew in my head these things: he doesn't understand, and this is not you. And I think maybe that saved me growing up. Uh, just that little piece of knowledge that I thought I'm I'm, I'm good with God, and I need it. It still wasn't safe. To, to really be open about that back then. But any worry I had was more about, I knew what other people would say. And then, so I, it just kind of became irrelevant because uh, I don't know why I fell in love with my wife. She's this unique person and the she we're just each other's person. I think God said, you guys, I'm just going to help you out. You belong together to do what you need to do. But I, I did a few years ago have, a really strong uh, prompting that it's time to just be out both for representation and visibility, just so there's not an us and them, even in the church people talk about, or in uh, lots of denomination, the LGBTQ people, this or that. And it's always some far off separate group. It's like, no, it's people sitting right next to you in your congregation, but they're not safe to bring that up yet. Uh, this is a little on to the side of the podcast, but uh, the whole idea of how someone develops understanding and compassion for other people is really interesting. There's not just one way, but uh, yeah, we have that way in common. That's interesting.
0: That's beautiful, man. We're
1: both named Steve. I don't know if there's a pattern. <laughs> they always say, you know, God God made Adam and Eve, not Adam and Adam Steve. And Steve. And yep. I was thinking, uh, speaking of Steve.
0: He made me. <laughs> <laughs> there's a reason
2: I brought you two together. <laughs> <laughs> wow,
1: That's very funny
0: beautiful
1: beautiful wow. and, but i also love when i talk to people um it's so interesting how each faith tradition will have its own its own ideas of what the boundaries are between them and other faiths and there's some like buddhism i'm always asking for you is this a religion or is this a philosophy for and it could be either sometimes it's both and and I love their idea, like the, the Dalai Lama, even people, he says, don't use what I say to become Buddhist. Use what I say to be better, whatever you are. Mm-hmm. That's just real. I, I kind of have that on a poster in my office as, <laughs> as some good thinking. And, and it's actually so freeing and joyful to be able to celebrate what is good in other people's faith. Like when I go to a Catholic service or, um, well, any number, some Methodists, United Methodists I've been to, and there's the part where you pass the peace or pre-COVID we could, and you just turn around and you shake hands with the people who are next to you. And you introduce yourself if, you, if you're new or you, if you know each other, you say, How, you know, how's Martha's knee? And, you know, just those little interactions and peace be with you. And I thought, I love that. I wish we kind of had a moment like that, you know, in my sacrament meeting, that would be kind of cool. Hopefully we'd do that afterwards. And, and But that's a thing that it's okay for me to say, they do that really well. And I like how I feel when I'm part of that. So what can I take from that and incorporate? For me, it's probably passing the stranger in the hall and saying, hey, do you have a second? Uh, I noticed you're new. What's your name? And just doing the same thing in a different way. That that fits the culture I'm in.
0: I yeah, just... I
2: think I think there's a lot of loss when people don't explore and understand other religions, um, or just faith traditions. In my own personal life, um, my mother was a convert as a young adult, and she really felt somehow that I have one sister. My sister and I couldn't know much about her parents faith tradition the faith uh-huh. tradition that she had grown up in she was a presbyterian i mean my grandma was very high up in the church very active wrote for national presbyterian magazines my own mother was a was a sunday school teacher you know in that tradition but when she joined the church at age 21 and then married my dad that was gone i was i would almost say looking back at it actively kept from knowing anything about mm. that, that tradition. I remember one time when I was a young adult myself and my grandmother handed me a, a her testimony written out. She said, I'd like to share with you my faith, you know, and she had a little picture of herself and picture of Jesus and, and some of her articles she'd written. Mm-hmm. And uh, before I even had a chance to read it, it kind of disappeared. <laughs> and I often wonder if my mom, I mean, she really was very actively trying to protect my sister and I from this tradition or anything about my grandparents' faith. My grandparents, of course, have now passed away. And and as I get older, that is a huge regret. I do not know what their traditions were. I And it was such a huge part of their lives. And I will never have any way of knowing um, exactly what that meant. And I'm sure that's fear, maybe on my mom's part. Didn't want to muddy mm. the water, confuse her daughters. But there's a the loss there that I feel. I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about that, but I think we do, we lose a lot when we don't open ourselves to understanding others and their traditions.
1: Yeah, there's a richness in that. Um, I'm thinking of a lady, she's a professional storyteller, Lee Cumber. She's from the UK, the most delightful accent and one of my favorite guests, probably because she's a storyteller, but so she's Jewish and her grandmother picked her at one point. And said, you're the one I'm going to teach to be a dritzila, which is this Jewish women's storytelling, a way of preserving thousands and thousands of little wisdom stories. And this isn't written down like the Torah or the Mishnah or anything like that. But it's been this oral tradition that was almost wiped out in World War II. And so Shonali, I mean, she has, it's like this building in her mind, her grandmother helped her create. And she can go in the rooms and at the drop of the hat, she has thousands of stories at her fingertips of the wisdom of, and I think what you just said, you missed out on maybe some wisdom of knowing why your grandmother believed. And it's just because it was an oral tradition, this tradition of the Drutzilla. Oh, I love what she said. Her grandmother first talked to her, said, do you know why God created people? Because he loves a good story. And I, I think we provide lots of entertainment for our divine creator <laughs> watching us muddle through. But yes, to, to be open to, for instance, uh, here in Utah, I love that something that is, is sort of New World Catholic, which is Dia de los Muertos, the, the Day of the Dead. So this year, BYU has a Day of the Dead, Efrenda, where you could put up a picture and you could light a candle and you could hear about this Catholic tradition that sort of started here in the new world, kind of mixing cultures and faiths together. But I was really happy that that was kind of thought of as something that was cool. And the, and the university newsletter said, come learn about this. And so uh, that just seems like this element of of fear was gone it was like we can we can hear why this ties these people to their ancestors the stories that are told of the pictures they put on their friend all of that yeah we can we can benefit so much from being willing to to hear
0: this is you know this first of all i just want to thank you steve for sh- opening up and sharing your story uh rebecca isn't this pretty uncanny how we 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 have an idea of how podcasts can go and then and then god throws us a curveball and, it
2: happens every time,
0: every which time. is why I have goosebumps all
2: the time whenever I'm doing this stuff.
0: So. I, I just think it's so awesome, and your story, man, this is this is great stuff, man. And 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 just what I love is that you've been able to engage all these different people, and then and different ideas and traditions, and you're quoting these people, and it's become it's 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 informing your faith, it's informing your yourself. I just want to ask you about your faith. Where are you at right now? What does your faith mean to you? Uh, I
1: really like that question because it's one I try and ask myself a little more deeply, at least once a year. <laughs> I mean, you can think about it daily, but if you have to get up every day, like what's that movie uh, about where, where Drew Barrymore has her, injured her head and every oh, day she wakes oh. up and has no memories. Repeat, and so yeah. she has to watch a videotape that explains her life and what happened and that when you walk through the door, you have a husband and children and all the rest. Um, you just can't do that with faith. Every day, get up. If you have to get up and play yourself the videotape of, I believe, I believe, I'm supposed to believe, I'm um, put away the videotape because I just don't think God is in that. What I have loved is finding a place of peace where there are many things that I want to know that I don't know. Some that it seems like I can't know. I have become okay with the not knowing. And I think sometimes maybe because in the Latter-day Saint tradition, we're supposed to say, I know, and we're supposed to be able to quote someone and it's exactly that way. Even if there's another quote that says something slightly different, <laughs> that whole idea of not quote, I know, um, that is threatening to some people because we are they feel we are supposed to be certain. In my opinion, if you have absolute certainty about something, you don't need faith. You know it. I mean, the Book of Mormon says that. Once you you see it happening, suddenly you know it. It's not faith. I I like the aspect of my faith that makes it so I have to decide what to think and what to believe about people I meet, about things that happened in my life. Was that an answer to prayer? You know, I try and be open to sense what I perceive as direction from the Spirit. Um, so, my faith is at a place where there are very, very few things that I would say I know. And there's a lot I believe. There's a whole bunch I hope. But faith, hope, and belief, faith, hope, and love, I don't know, those aren't bad things. We put them all together. I feel very comfortable, maybe. Maybe more than ever, and maybe partly because of engaging with people of other faiths, in my own faith and in my connection, even though I love ten times more that I have with God, but there is a presence that I have come to feel in my life and and I just watch for those little things that that tell me i I see God working here. Did that answer your question, Steve?
0: Yeah, it did yeah.
1: yeah i I will say that. I have had to, uh, uh, b- because of going through depression and other stuff earlier in my life, yeah. um, I've, I at one point have had to differentiate between uh, my connection with God and my connection with the church. Not, uh, not to disregard one and regard the other, but just to know that they are two different things, that my relationship with jesus to me has saving power my relationship to the church is something else and that's my chance to serve a community that's my chance to discuss and to learn um it's where i i get ideas about who god might be and what i could pursue so i think that's been important to me um being okay not knowing things really being okay with not knowing certain things and uh and then the second thing, which is just feeling a connection with God independent of my denomination. Maybe we're not supposed to say that, but that's, that's how I feel.
0: You know, I, I had, and Rebecca, I want you to chime in, but I just have to ask this question. I feel impressed to ask this question is, uh, I want to ask you, uh, who is Jesus to you?
1: He is the one that if I have to talk about him in church, I'm pretty likely to cry because uh, uh, I'm a freelance tour guide on the side. Like I used to do LDS Church History in the U.S. for Morris Murdoch escorted tours. Now I take groups to Israel. Uh, This year I'll be taking February and March uh, my uh, 16th and 17th groups over there. That is my favorite 10 days of the year is when I am there and I'm literally getting to walk in certain places in the footsteps of Jesus. So to me, um, he may turn out to be something different than I understand, and I'll be okay with whatever. But that is one of the things that I would say I know as much as I can know something is that he is real and that there is a connection. And there was a time of me desperately trying to find God. I mean, I, I can't be the only one who ever has been sort of on a heap on the rug in the, in the family room floor and, and yelling to God, where the hell are you? Um, because I think I see you working in all these ways, but I need you to show up in this particular way. And then not having him reach out in that particular way, but starting to see the other ways. And me starting to trust, okay, this whole idea of being a shepherd is true because I am being shepherded bit by bit. I don't know exactly to where, but the more I follow it, um, yeah, he that's rock, that's anchor, that's that's the thing I I I know is that connection. I'm glad you asked.
0: Thank you, Steve. I'm glad you answered. Thank you. Beautiful. Mm. Rebecca.
2: I was just gonna say, what a beautiful answer! No, I I think you've covered it, Steve. Like I said, I get goosebumps all the time. <laughs> beautiful, no, just wonderful. What I, I great feel conversation.
1: the same. When I walk out from interviewing people, I just almost without exception feel like I'm a, I'm a foot taller or floating on air, and just like I have hope for the world. Look at these good people.
0: Oh wow, what a great what a great talk we had today, folks. And I I, I audience, I want you to leave your comments. Um, What how you feel about this episode, but also maybe tell me what Jesus means, who is Jesus to you and what your faith means to you as well. I'd like to have a dialogue, a conversation. And I think that uh, what you're doing is a beautiful thing. I do believe that, you know, God works through us. I tell people it's not the works that we do. It's the work that he does through us. Mm -hmm. The most important thing. And they'll be allowed to be used as an instrument for the Savior. And uh, I want to thank you for the work you do I want to just ask you real quick. Your podcast can be found. Can, it, can, can people listen to it on Sirius XM as well on BYU Radio? Yes. Yeah,
1: yeah. Sirius XM 143 is BYU Radio, and you will mm-hmm. hear In Good Faith uh, several times a day. Okay. You can go, go to slash In Good Faith if you want to check out the website. But wherever you get a podcast, just type in In Good Faith. There's actually, I think, three different podcasts with the same title. Yeah. So ours is the one with the green logo.
0: Okay. All right. So, in good faith, check it out. Um, it's a really awesome project you're doing. And I also want to thank the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints and Brigham Young University, to uh, th- that helps provide you this platform. Thank oh
1: you. yeah. I mean, I'm sitting here in our performance studio. Excuse me. <clears throat> here, uh, it's a beautiful facility. Both the university and the church have made a big commitment to broadcast and to sharing.
0: And uh, I, we really appreciate it here. That's awesome. Well, um, Rebecca, thank you so much for being co-host. Thank you so much for booking this guest. This was awesome.
2: Yeah, it yeah. was amazing. And I'm telling you, it was Tom that was the one, you know, who'd be really good. So, yeah, kudos <laughs> to Tom. <laughs> That's thanks great.
1: to Tom and thanks, Rebecca and Steve, very much. This has been a pure pleasure.
0: Uh, amen to that. So, Steve, uh, thanks again. We love you. And folks, I just want to remind you, there will be links in the descriptions to uh, his podcast. Also, for those of you who'd like to financially support the channel on PayPal and Patreon, Uh, you can uh, support us there. Also, don't forget the merch store. You got the mug there? (laughs) There we go. Merch store, mormonbookreviews.com. If you want to buy some merch, we always do appreciate those of you. And I think the coffee mug is our best-selling thing, which is a little ironic. Maybe it's a hot (laughs) chocolate mug. I don't know. (laughs) Either way, I just want to thank you so much again. Just remember the most important thing here, folks, is all the voices of the restoration will be heard here on Mormon Book Reviews.